Hello and welcome to Coachcast by England Football Learning, the coaching podcast that brings you insight from people across the game. Today we're chatting to Libby Barnett, a coach from Jersey, to discover her journey so far and how she's helping to grow women's football on the island. Hi Libby, welcome to the show, thanks for joining us. Hi Jamie, thanks for having me. No problem at all. Hi Libby, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and briefly about who you coach and how long you've been doing it for? So yeah, my name's Libby, Um, I'm based in Jersey and I have been playing or involved in the game um, since I was about six years old. Um, Quite typically I came, I was part of a football family, my dad, my brother, my mum are all football fanatics so... I played from a very young age and I suppose I got into coaching when I was around 18 years old. Um, I did some locally here in Jersey, sort of supporting on a sort of an ad hoc basis, nothing in a structured role. And then when I went to university, I took that a little bit further and was involved in coaching in in junior teams, um, sort of like um, holiday camps, casual sessions. And then when I returned to the island, it was something that I was really passionate about to allow other young girls to get the opportunity to play football like I did. And that's where I came really involved in structured football. So my local club, Jersey Wanderers Football Club, um, I've been involved with them since I was six years old. So it was only natural for me to start coaching within the club. Um, I also coach within the Jersey Football Association. So we have a player development centre. And I've been involved with that for for a number of years, um, leading many different age groups. Um, And and today, really happy and really proud of a a girls' setup that we've got within my local club. Um, We grew from about 12 girls, and this year we're looking to welcome about 55 girls. So we've spanned from one small age group to about three three groups, potentially four, depending on our numbers. These girls keep coming from everywhere, which is really exciting. So, um, yeah, I suppose that's kind of my, my journey to date and, and where I've got to up to now. Yeah, thanks that. I, and I think uh, with, with that, we'll put your coaching expertise to the test early doors, just for a bit of an icebreaker and a rival activity. What do you think, Louise? Yeah, definitely. So um, what we'll ask you to do is come up with um, as many top tips as you can but we'll ask you to do it in 30 seconds. Okay. So um, we'll set up a little timer and see how many you can come up with. Yeah, of course, yeah. Okay, so your 30 seconds starts now. So I'd always encourage arrive with a smile, um, make things enjoyable, football is about having fun, communicate not just with your um, with your players, but with parents, guardians, coaches, anybody else who's around, um, get people involved, give ownership to the players, um, allow time to reflect after sessions, make sure you turn up organised, come prepared, be prepared to have, I don't know, two players, have 20 players, be able to adapt on the spot. Perfect. That was loads. <laughs> Lovely. Loads that was brilliant. Amazing top tips there. <laughs> brilliant. Thanks for that. Well, I suppose we'll dive right in on the back of those top tips then, Libby, to find out a little bit more about your yourself and your coaching journey. So I suppose the first thing that we really want to ask is what was your first experience of football? Like you say that you're kind of coming from a bit of a football fanatic family. Yeah, so um, my dad is, like I say, a, a huge, huge football fan. Um, we follow Chelsea through and through. So I've always grown up watching football, playing football, um, being around football environments, football shirts for birthdays and Christmases. 
Um, so I suppose, yeah, my dad is my my huge influence and with huge thanks to him that I got involved in the game. And he was always um, playing football with myself and my brother in the garden. We were playing out on the estates until it got dark. And I suppose that led to me joining my local football club, um, which I've been been with for about, oh gosh, I don't know, almost 25 years. Um, so... I'm really, really fortunate that I had this fantastic um, protective football family that allowed me to explore my my playing career, I suppose, but also um, immerse myself in lots of different areas of the game rather than just playing, which which I which I love. I suppose that's part of being loving the game is not just playing, but I suppose that's from my own personal opinion, but immersing yourself in every element of the game as, as much as possible. Were there many opportunities to play? I know you say that you ended up joining a team, but were there many teams around to have that sort of structured or was it more informal play at a young age? Um, in terms of the girls game, not really. Uh, myself and my best friend, Sean, we joined a boys team um, for a good couple of years until there were enough girls to kind of form our own little side um but at the time we were we were one of only two other two teams on island now jersey's a very small island um but it limited us in terms of our our play we it meant that we only really played against each other which i'm sure you can imagine became quite repetitive um we did try and play um against our our friendly rivals across the water in guernsey um and a couple of trips overseas but obviously they're, they're very um, costly. They require a lot of organisation, a lot of volunteer commitment. So really our, our opportunities on Ireland in terms of a girls only environment was quite limited. And and for, for a long time that, that remained. It's only, I suppose, over the last three or four seasons where clubs on Ireland have started setting up these girls only environments that we're really starting to see the girls game sort of as a girls game as opposed to a mixed game really thrive. What would you say is the main issue with playing in a mixed environment? Like what bits are you missing out on by not having a specific girls team, would you say? Um, I think for, for young girls who perhaps don't have the confidence to, to play with boys, they might not feel um, they might not feel like they belong. They might not um, see people like them. I think visibility is something that I harp on about. And I'm a huge believer if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think it can be very daunting for young girls if they turn up to a mixed team, but they're the only girl or there's only a couple of other girls that perhaps have been within the setup for a while and are formed and a part of the team. It can be very, very daunting. So having that girls only environment where they, perhaps they might know a few people from school or they just see somebody that looks like them, it, it allows the girls to settle in a little bit um, quicker and feel more comfortable and allow them to express themselves a little bit more. So that's why I'm a, a huge advocate for, uh, for girls-only environments, but not to say uh, I love the mixed game too and I would always um, push especially out our stronger players um, or those who want to get quicker, fitter, faster, stronger to, to be playing with the boys for as long as they can. Was it quite difficult for, for a while to get the motion on the island to get women's football growing you say that it's something that happened quite recently but when you were younger like who were the maybe the key people who was like trying to push it a little bit I suppose uh, my first coach within the girls only environment was a lady called Katrina Tannehill she was 
are hugely enthusiastic, passionate, committed around allowing us opportunities as young girls to play football and filter us into the senior game. And she was hugely successful in that. I think there was maybe around 15 of us that grew up together all playing football. And and I would, I don't know, off the top of my head, I'd say at least 10 of us, 12 of us all filtered into the senior game. Some of us are still playing now, 12, well, 15 years on. Um, so she was hugely influential. Um, our local football association, the Jersey FA, um, have, have committed um, not just time and money, but actually resource. We've got a, a girls development officer um, who works predominantly within the five to 11 game, um, but her work crosses over filtering those juniors into the senior game, um, developing the senior game, developing senior opportunities. So um, Lucy even is, is really driving that work. She's actually just going off on maternity to have a baby, but um, we look forward to, I'm sure, as as with any anybody in football, it's really hard to keep your, your finger out really, isn't it? So I'm sure she'll still be around supporting, driving the game, but our association has been really fantastic in supporting us to just drive those opportunities and allow more women and girls to play the game. That's really good to hear. Um, so can you take us back to when you first thought that um, coaching might be something that you wanted to do? Yeah, I suppose, um, like I say, I've, I've always loved everything about football and something that has always been quite um, close to me is being giving back to the game what I received, if that kind of makes sense. So always wanting to give other girls the opportunity to play football and have the fantastic experiences like I did. So I think that happened around when I was 18. I think perhaps prior to that, like I say, I was shadowing or helping collecting cones or I don't know, um, keep making sure that the younger girls were always okay and, and enjoying themselves. But yeah, I suppose in terms of more formal coaching positions, it happened when I, I moved to Bath and went to university there. Um, I was kind of um, taken aback with all the opportunities that there were for girls to play. Coming from such a small island, it, you can quite easily be quite sheltered. So it was really exciting and I just wanted to be a part of that. And um, I suppose the, the older girls at university were great at, showing me the ropes and allowing me opportunities to build my confidence and have a go and um, yeah I just kind of threw myself into any opportunities that, that came about. Back then uh, when you was first having the taste of coaching but also now what do you enjoy about it? Um, I think you just get it I suppose selfishly you get a bit of a buzz um, so it's fantastic to be able to provide these opportunities, but you, I find it, I just really enjoy myself. Um, and, and that's why I do. I think if you're not enjoying something, I'm sure it's with anything, not just sport related, but you've got to enjoy it. Otherwise there's, there's no way, especially on a voluntary basis, there's no way that anybody would, would carry on doing what they do. So of course, other girls enjoying it or the players enjoying it, but also am I enjoying it? Um, and it's got to come hand in hand. Otherwise it just doesn't work. So in terms of coaching, what would you say is your key thing that you try to put across? I think um, something that always I, I sits with me is my, my communication or a coach's ability to communicate with their players. That, to me, underpins absolutely everything that you do. It doesn't matter if you've got a fantastic technical session or you've got certain coaching points you want to put across. If you can't communicate or relate it to the players that are in front of you, it's, it's a non-starter. So... That to me is really important. And I, I continuously ask the girls for feedback. Not only is it something that they understand, but am I putting it across correctly? 
how can I get that message to you in a way that you can understand it easier so that we can progress the session quicker and you can get more out of our time together. Um, so communication to me is, is always the, the core of everything that I, that I, I do. Is that communication key to keeping your players engaged in the sessions? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure we're, we can all look back to a session perhaps where we don't feel in control or we don't feel like we've got messages um, across. So absolutely, the girls have... Um, sorry, I keep referring to girls because at the moment I'm coaching just predominantly girls. Um, but um, the good thing I think about girls is they will... They tend to tell you if they don't understand or if they're not enjoying something. And their communication to me is... Um, I suppose over the, the relationship and the rapport that we've built, they're not afraid to tell me if they're unhappy or if they don't understand something, which is fantastic. Um, but I suppose that continuous um, feedback sort of me to them and, and them to I around how we're communicating with each other is essential, yeah, to, to ensure that they're engaged, they're enjoying themselves and that um, we progress as, as we're trying to as a team. I guess that relationship that you build with them as well is um, it means you can offer them what they need, but also the observation and things like that. You're able to then get them to think about how they can do things differently, perhaps. Is that something that you do? Yeah, absolutely. I think as well in terms of um, when we look at the four corner model, um, we tend to focus a lot on the technical um, aspects of the game. But actually, I think especially for the girls and for our more social players, that that social, that psychological element is just as important, if not more important to them, to be engaged, to be enjoying themselves, to feel connected, belonged, have build relationships with their peers. So um, it's it's trying to create a, a really healthy balance of all those elements. Um, but communication to me is sort of sits in the middle of all of that. Uh, that social and, and psychological corner there, do you think that's key to setting the right environment for your players? Yeah, of course, absolutely. Um, I'm sure you'll have even professionals in the game that are the most technically, tactically sound players, but if they're not enjoying themselves or aren't in the right headspace or, or have certain challenges that aren't to do with what they do with their feet, you'll see that they quite quickly don't become footballers because they're not enjoying the game and they retract. Um, and you do see that, I think, especially with young girls and I'm sure with young boys as they go through puberty and hit that, hit those really, I suppose, difficult and challenging um, teenage years, those areas become more and more um, dominant in their game, um, especially when we're talking about engaging young girls and keeping them in the game, avoiding dropouts. If they've got mates there and they, they turn up and they enjoy themselves, yes, they're playing football, but they're there because their mates are there, then, then fine. Um, if that's what we need to focus on for a little bit, then that's what that's, I suppose, how we cater to their needs. For any coaches listening at the moment that might be new to the game, uh, do you have any top tips for like creating a good environment that allows players to enjoy themselves and keep returning to the sessions? Something that can be quite difficult to perhaps new coaches to the game or if you're coaching a new team that you're not quite comfortable or familiar with yet, it's like, well, how do I create fun environments if, if I don't really know them? And what we try to do is always... Um, rely on a couple of leaders within each of our groups to act as um, 
kind of like a liaison between the coaching team and the players. So we've always got an open door policy. We would always hope that our players can always come and chat to us. But if they don't feel particularly comfortable, they might uh, not have the confidence to, or actually they just don't really know us yet. They might feel more comfortable speaking to their peers. So those peers might be someone who's been around a little bit longer or has a little bit more confidence to come and speak to the, the coaches. So that's something that I would um, encourage is recognizing which are the lead natural leaders within the group and kind of using them to speak to the other girls or for the girls to speak to them and, and relay those messages if they're not entirely comfortable to come and speak directly um, to yourself. So, yeah, like I say, using those, using the players to, to help you and, and gain their feedback of how you can improve and how you can support them. That's a really nice example of player ownership there. Do you do you use that quite a lot, like even within sessions? Is that kind of the main bit of ownership that you give or do you give that quite quite a lot in your rest of your coaching? Yeah, I think um, I've learned myself actually over the last couple of years and working with a group at the moment that are sort of going through that transition. They've, they've come as sort of 11, 12-year-olds and they're now 13, 14, 15-year-olds pushing on to early um, adulthood, womanhood really, and understanding a lot about themselves, not just themselves as footballers, but themselves as young women. Um, and I suppose the dynamic of my coaching has changed. Perhaps when they were a little bit younger, it was more of a, a coach-player dynamic and they would look to me for a, a lot of reassurance or guidance or direction. Now, um, it's really important that we give the ownership to these young girls, especially as they're learning so much about themselves they they don't want to um, be told what to do necessarily. And it's really important I avoid being um, mistaken for a teacher figure or a parent figure. Um, I'm a coach and I want to support them to be better footballers and to be better human, human beings, essentially. So that player ownership has been really, really um, powerful for us and will continue to be over these next couple of years as they develop into women and understand what they need and, and allow them the, the freedom to, to communicate that, to um, communicate that with not only us as their coaches, but with their peers and, and drive the sessions themselves. They don't necessarily need us to tell us what, tell them what to do. They can, they can figure that out for themselves. And that's actually quite lovely to, to watch and sit back and see. Is that kind of journey that you were talking about where the Jersey Performance Centre comes in? Is that the pathway that you were talking about? Yeah, it does a little bit. So, um, sorry, I've been referring a little bit to my my club setup, um, but there's a lot of crossover. A lot of the girls that I coach within my club setup are also the girls that are part of the Jersey FA Player Development Centre. Um, the Player Development Centre has a little bit more of a competitive focus. The centre's there for our better players. Um, so, whilst our club environment is more focused on enjoyable social football um, with a competitive edge, we do enter a, a local league. The Player Development Centre is there to improve our players technically and tactically foremost. Um, so the dynamic is a tiny bit different in the sense that, yes, it's um, we're always empowering the player and player focus, but there's certain things that we need to deliver and push the players um, as coaches to enable them to become better footballers. The dynamics are tiny little bit um, different in that sense, but it, it's quite a nice balance because, I mean, we're a small island, so we know 
all the girls anyway, even if they're playing for the other the other clubs, we know them or know of them. So um, they the girls are really good at understanding the difference between that social element of a of a club side, um, and then when they come down to the JFA PDC of understanding, okay, this is where I'm, this is where I can really develop myself as a footballer, and I've got the coaching staff around me who are really going to drive that through their sessions. How important is that centre? Do you think to Jersey? Um, it's it's essential. We, the again, the dynamics have changed a little bit. The the JFA PDC for a long time was the only place where girls could play girl only, uh, sort of female only football um, from secondary school onwards. Um, within the minis game or in primary schools, the girls there was sort of like girls only sessions, and they could play girls only football in schools. But as you start to get into that secondary school, um, those opportunities would drop off, and clubs weren't yet offering any girls only football. So the PDC was essential in creating that that girls only environment. Now that we have some fantastic clubs that are offering this girls only football, the PDC is allowed to. Um, shift their focus again to sort of developing these better technical, tactical footballers and the clubs pick up that social element. Um, Not to say that they don't cross over in in both the club and the PDC environment, but the PDC now, I suppose in future, we'd like to turn it into a centre of excellence, like you'll see in many other county FAs, um, where we are focusing on the better players and their pathway into perhaps... Um, I don't know, we'd like to see some elite footballers. We haven't yet have it had any from, from Jersey, but watch the space. We've got some really gifted youngsters coming through. Um, so it, it's great that the PDC has, like I say, for so long enabled these girls to play football in a girl, girls-only environment, but now can really focus on developing those better players. You're playing quite an important role in the game in Jersey for girls and women. Do you see yourself as a role model? Um, it's always nice to think of yourself as a role model. Um, I think, like I've, I've touched on earlier, that visibility, I think, is is absolutely key in developing the girls in the women's game. Um, so even, I suppose, being a female coach or a committee member or as a player, I hope in, in itself that is inspiring for young girls who perhaps might only be, I don't know, in the home if girls football isn't something that the family are watching, if they're constantly seeing males playing the game, to see a female within the game can be in itself just really quite inspiring and, oh, wow, I didn't realise that I could be that. Um, so that's that's something that's really important to us within our island setup. We're really um, focused on developing female coaches. We've got fantastic pathway for these older players um i suppose when you retire from the game to filter into coaching but especially around these 16 17 18 19 year olds the same way that i progressed into coaching from a young age really focusing on getting them involved because the girls relate to them a lot more than i do uh, especially when they're that sort of teenage age um it's a fantastic progression for their own development even as players i think developing into a coach whilst you're still playing you just understand the game much more you understand why certain things are are put in place why you play certain ways what tactical changes and and how that's going to benefit your game um something that we really want to focus on over the next few years is developing our female officials um and that's something that the jersey fa have, have been quite successful in i think we've got four or five young girls who have completed their their referee their first stage of the referee journey um and hopefully that will continue to grow so um yeah that that emphasis of female role models is something that we're 
we're really aware of and um, keen to, to to continue to grow. That's really positive to hear that. So I, I think we probably know the answer to to this, but compared then to when a few when you first started out to to maybe now or a few years ago, do you think there's more opportunities to get involved with the women's and girls game, either as a player, coach, or officials in Jersey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I was actually quite fortunate when I was younger that my my first coach within a girls only team was a female. I think that's actually quite rare um, back then. Anyway, um, so the more opportunity we can provide girls and women to get into the game um, is only just in turn going to benefit the game as a whole. I think um, we've also looked to start to um, implement some of the stepping over the sidelines coach um, coaching courses that the FA have been running to bring some of our female parents into the game. Um, a lot of them have been um, have, have really actually um, been blown away by some of the content and have taken to it. I think they're kind of saying, well, we're here anyway watching. Why can't we help? Or what can we do to help? And that's been a really great stepping stone to get them into the game and understanding that you don't just have to be a coach or a player to be involved in football. You can you can help out. You can stand in the middle of the park with whistle or you can be helping us manage the team on the sidelines or you can make, be making cups of tea and coffee, whatever it is, that all contributes to the, the positive environment of football. So, yeah, we, we're just continuously looking at how we can attract and retain more females in the game. How have you found dealing with with parents do you have any top tips for getting them involved um it's i suppose kind of a mixed bag you get lots of parents um who are really keen and you kind of from the outset you'll see them at every single training session every single match um they're the type of ones that are always very thankful at the end of sessions helping you to collect in the equipment um, and are always really keen we've got other parents i suppose who um, stand on the periphery a little bit more um, and, and that's absolutely fine perhaps they don't have the confidence to to get involved perhaps they don't have the interest to get involved um, so it's trying to find ways that we can engage the parents within different elements of the game um, and even if it's it's something that they don't have the time or the the, the, the commitment um, to be able to help us out it could just be um around conversations how do you think that game went or what do you think about the training session do you understand what they're doing here trying to communicate what you're doing just to give them that grounding that understanding of what we're doing and hopefully that in turn will inspire them a little bit more to to get involved yeah i love that it's like an easy way to just get someone talking about it and kind of what's happening brilliant yeah so what would your advice be to any aspiring coaches yeah what what really makes a good coach um, for anybody who wants to get involved in the game, I'd always encourage to contact your, your local county FA um, or get involved in the nearest club, express your interest, speak to the right people. Um, I think it'd be rare to find a football club or association that would turn down a volunteer's help. <laughs> we'll always be able to find something for you to do and get involved at sort of really um, entry level, go at your own pace. Um, and I think we get a lot of parents who uh, are keen and they enjoy watching and they want to get involved, but they're always a little bit, oh, I'm not a football coach. I haven't been involved in football. I don't have the knowledge, but there's so many skills that people can bring apart from having football knowledge. Um, I think that's something that I would I would always in encourage. I, I say, as long as you're enthusiastic and you come with a smile, we can find something for you to do. So. I think if people are listening and thinking, well, maybe I could do that. My daughter or my son plays and I'm there anyway. And I like watching it on TV. 
just get in, just get in touch with somebody, get down to your local club and just stick up your hand and say, yeah, I wouldn't mind helping out if you can find me a little job to do. And, and it will go from there. You might be the next, I don't know, Emma Hayes or something. I always Chelsea reference them. Um, but it, that, that's the first way is just get your foot in the door and who knows where it can take you. Brilliant. So now we've found out a bit more about you and your experience. From that, we'd like to see if you can help the rest of the coaching community. We've got a an online coaching community and people can ask questions on there. So we thought we'd put some of those ideas to you and see if you've got any insight on them. One that comes up quite a lot is communication and like how to communicate with your players, but also getting them to communicate with each other. What would you say your approach to communication is? Like, how do you kind of instill some good values in that? Um, I think body language is something that is just so key and can be quite often overlooked. Um, we coach tend to coach on an evening, and I think it's quite easy if you've had a busy day or a stressful day, or I don't know, you sat in traffic or whatever to get up to the session. If you look bothered and, and flustered or you don't look prepared, the girls can spot it a mile away, a mile away and that, whether they recognise it or not, can quite easily affect how they approach the session. So I always um, make sure that I, first thing I do is I'm approaching with a smile. I think that's an easy, universal way to communicate with everyone, that you're happy to see them, you're welcoming them in, um, and, and smiles are contagious, aren't they? So I'd always start with a smile. Um, Little things, I think, especially when you're coaching juniors, I'd always try to get down onto their level. Um, it can be quite daunting if well, I'm not particularly tall anyway, so it's never much of an issue. But if you're quite a tall um, person or, or bigger person, it can be quite um, daunting, I suppose, to be looking up to somebody who's not quite on your level. Um, using really positive phrases, um, encouraging lots of communication and that doesn't necessarily have to be football specific sometimes when we have drinks breaks and things we sort of say right have a drinks break but you've got three minutes and you can talk about anything you want it doesn't have to be football related so just allowing different spaces for people to communicate whether it's to you on a one one-to-one -one or smaller groups or bigger groups trying to change that up as much as possible and you'll start to see and understand how your players like to communicate some players really hate one-to-one -one. they find it quite um, intimidating so if that's the case then avoiding it where you can and getting smaller groups in if you know that they've got a friend but you need to speak to that one player perhaps bringing their friend in the conversations they feel more comfortable um, there's lots of different ways that you can communicate with your players which is different from one coach standing much taller to a group of 15 players and directing them of what to do Brilliant. um okay so if we move on to the next theme of that it it's about admin <laughs> it doesn't sound the most exciting part of it but as we know that's like a massive part of being a coach so how do you manage the fact that it's so time consuming and still remain motivated to do it to kind of take part as a coach? Yeah, I think um, the admin side of it is something that's not really spoken about when you um, express your interest in coaching or you see it on the TV, you see other people doing it. You kind of only see the grass stuff, which is fantastic. Um, but the admin side of it is a huge part of it and is, is equally as important in your preparation, um, planning coaching sessions. I tend to usually plan my coaching sessions on the day. Um, and I'm quite fortunate that with my role, they sort of allow me to 
um, perhaps refresh my memory of what I'm going to be doing before I go to my coaching session so that it's right there in sort of at the forefront of my mind. Um, so the preparation is, is really, really important. Reflection is also equally as important, not just how did things go, but actually how were the girls today? Was there anything there that I spotted um, that perhaps I might need to pick up with? Is there anything concerning that I need to perhaps escalate? What parents did I spot there? Is there any messages I need to relay around, I don't know, a match we've got this weekend or kit that might be coming or we've got a change of venue or whatever it might be. Um, my tips would always just be have people around you to help. We're really fortunate in our girls section that we've got um, a dad that, that came on board that held his hands up and said, look, I'm not football minded, but I really just quite like organising things. And he absolutely loves sending out the messages to um, our parents, whether it's around change of training venues or uh, meeting times for a game on the weekend. Um, so finding those people that can help you spread the load a little bit, um, sharing ideas. We, we use WhatsApp. We've got like a coaches group where we chuck ideas in, whether it be coaching sessions or reflections, debriefs. And I suppose that really helps us to um, share the burden a little bit, um, but also it's a great opportunity to gain other feedback that you might not have or, or see if you've missed anything. Um, so I, I think that's really helpful, having a really great team around your support network that can help. There are really good tips there and thank you for sharing those with us. I think we'll find those really useful. We're coming up to the end of the show now, but that does mean there is one little feature left and that is our Swift session feature. We ask you to come up with a session idea or a practice idea and explain it to us in 30 seconds. Are you up for the challenge of trying that? Definitely. Okay, I'll set up a timer of 30 seconds and then we can start from there. Okay. Time starts now. Something I always love to do as an arrival activity or something when we're talking about possession or, or skill mastery is 1v1s, 2v2s. I absolutely love them, as do the girls. So get them to pick a partner or a couple of partners, a couple of cones, a ball, set up their own size pitch and just, yeah, explore, have fun, score goals. You can play for two or three minutes, blow the whistle, go and find a new pair, they're on a new size goal. Um, yeah, and just enjoy yourself. Perfect. Brilliant. I'd say that was pretty much bang on for time. So <laughs> well done on that. Fantastic. <laughs> Full of player ownership, small-sided yeah. games, you're on to a winner if you follow that. Yeah, definitely. Right, well, thank you very much for your time today, Libby. It's been great listening to you, and obviously we wish you all all the best moving forward, and please do keep in touch uh, with us and let us know how everything's going, but it's fantastic to have your time today and, and listen to your story. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for having me. No problem. Thank you. Right, that's all we have time for today. But don't forget to check out the episode description for all the links to our platforms. There you'll be able to click through to the England football community. This is where you can post your coaching questions for us to discuss on the podcast or just to connect with loads of wonderful coaches. Yep, we'd love to help you out with your coaching questions, so please do check it out. We'll be back soon with another episode of CoachCast, so if you haven't already, hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode. From all of us at England Football Learning, thanks for listening.